Amen. Well, we are well into Father's Day. Can I offer my happy Father's Day to all the dads out there? Where are you? Excellent. You know, the Bible, um, speaking of fathers, gives us some examples of what it means to be a dad uh, and how to manage the role of being a, a dad that, uh, that might interest you. There's some, some great dad characters in the Bible. There's Noah. Remember, he, uh, after the flood, uh, the Bible tells us that uh, Noah got a little too interested in his own vineyard, got drunk, and then when his son found him drunk, Noah didn't like the way that his son handled that. And so maybe out of embarrassment, maybe partly out of shame, but, uh, but he responded to his son finding him drunk by yelling at his son, getting angry, and cursing his son's son, cursing his grandchild to a life of slavery and submission to all peoples. That's, that's not exactly dad of the year mentality, right? But, but he's just the first of a long list of, of really bad dads in the Bible. Because after him came Abraham, and you remember the account with Abraham, uh, he took his son Isaac, and I know he claims he was being led by God or whatever, but either way, he puts Isaac up on the altar, and he's getting ready to kill him before the angel intervenes, right? Now, I'm sure that Isaac, you know, Isaac let him know, Dad, uh, I'm not sure what you heard from God, but this can't be good. This is not great news. No, no Father's Day card for you. Um, then there's Lot. Like, you think it can't get worse, and yet it does. Remember Lot in the episode of the city of Sodom and Gomorrah? God had warned that he was going to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and so he sent his angels there to, to go take care of that, and, the, and they, they show up there, and the men of the town are all upset with them. They actually want to come out and, uh, and uh, do some harm to these messengers of God. And Lot says, no, no, don't harm these messengers of God. Here are my two virgin daughters. Take them, do whatever you want with them. These are the dads of the Bible. Guys, this is what you're up against. This is, you're doing better than you thought is what I'm saying here. Isaac got old and when, when his, his sons came for, to receive a blessing from him, he couldn't even tell them apart, right? And Jacob had all his sons, but he loved Joseph, it seems, more than all the rest. And he created so much sibling rivalry that all the sons kind of collaborated together to try and kill Joseph. The list goes on and on. It's a very encouraging list because it gives me hope that maybe I'm going to do okay. Maybe for all my faults and failures and weaknesses as a dad, maybe I won't be that bad. Maybe I won't find myself in that list of dads after all. We're going to look this morning on this Father's Day uh, at what it means uh, to honor our fathers, uh, particularly as it instructs us to do in the fifth commandment, right? Okay, and on the other side of the equation, we're also going to uh, look at what it is that fathers can do to live honorably and to honor the very special role that God has uh, asked them to fulfill. But we're going to start uh, by taking a look. What does the Bible say to us uh, uh, as kids? And whether you're a kid with just four or five years under your belt or whether you're a kid with four or five decades under your belt, the Bible says pretty much the same thing. And it's found in Exodus chapter 20, that great chapter that lists out all of the very famous Ten Commandments. And in verse 12, it says this, Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land your God is giving you. And uh, when God was writing down these commandments on the stone tablets for Moses, he dropped this one strategically right into the middle of the 10. This one's number five, right? Honor your father and mother. And we're going to focus a little bit this morning more on the father part than on the mother part. But depending upon your background, depending upon your experience, depending on your upbringing, um, this commandment is either a piece of cake for you, it's the easiest commandment of all 10 to keep, it's awesome and it's fun, 
or quite possibly, depending on your experience and your background, this could be the most difficult of all ten commandments for you to keep. And that's because in this room, we've got a broad variety of people with a broad variety of backgrounds and experiences. And some of us in this room um, experience dads and fathers who are loving and who are caring and who are involved and who are awesome and who gave us a picture of what a lovingly perfect heavenly father would be like just in the way that they lived out their life as a dad in front of us, right? That's, some of us have that experience. But for many of us, the experience is different. In this room, we also have sons and daughters uh, who weren't so fortunate, and their experience of dad was maybe of, of a dad who was absent or disinterested or disconnected, maybe indifferent, maybe angry, maybe full of rage, maybe, maybe even extending forward to abuse. And, and if you're uh, among that group, you know exactly how hard the fifth commandment can be. You know how difficult it is to honor a father like that. It's, and, and because of that, it's very interesting to me uh, that these ten, amongst the Ten Commandments that God gives, there's this fifth, honor your father and your mother. And when God gave Moses that commandment, if he looked back, you know what he found? He found all those dads that we just named in the Old Testament. Like, all of them took place before God gave the commandment to honor your father. So it's not like God was just looking back and saying, gosh, you know what? These guys have been so great. Let's just, let's just acknowledge reality. These are the best guys ever, and you should honor that. No, God actually looked back against a lot of brokenness. Uh, against a lot of failure and weakness and, and uh, problematic parenting. And he said, notwithstanding that, even with that in play, even though that's the way that it's going to go for a lot of human parents, he says, you should honor your father and your mother. Out of all the things he could have commanded humanity to do, he commanded that one, even knowing how hard it was going to be. He calls us to honor our fathers. Even if they aren't great dads, maybe they're not even great people, but he calls us to honor them. And so he issued the command. He knew it would be easy for some. He knew that it would be painful for others, but he said, that's what I want you to do. I want you to honor your fathers. And, and maybe that's hard for you. You may even say, it's impossible for me to honor my father. You don't know this man. You don't know what he did. You have no idea uh, the dynamics there. I couldn't possibly. And and at that stage, you might find it difficult or impossible to honor your father if you don't understand the nature of what honor is and the specifics of what God's asking us to do in this commandment. So I'm going to look at that for just a moment. Of the Ten Commandments, the first four are, are what I'd call vertical, right? They, they, um, they're connected to how we interact with God. As an individual, how do I react with God? So there's don't have any other gods, don't make idols or, or graven images of a god, um, don't take the Lord's name in vain, and remember the Sabbath to keep it holy, right? So all those have to do with how does the individual interact with a holy and perfect God. The rest of the commandments all spread out horizontally. They deal not so much with how we interact with a holy God, but how God's people should interact with one another. And this fifth commandment, the honor your father and honor your mother, stands at that pivotal intersection between the relationship with God and the relationship with others that way. The relationship of child to parent is the midpoint between our relationship with God and our relationship with others. And so that especially like in our earlier years, the line between our relationship with God and, uh, and our Heavenly Father and just earthly parents trying to discern what's God and what's parents is tough. It's blurry. But if we're ever going to navigate a transition from loving God the way we are supposed to love Him to loving others the way that we're supposed to love them, uh, the way to get there is to begin early and often learning the lesson of honoring our parents. 
you can't transition from loving God to loving others until you learn how to love those first others in your life and how to honor those first others in your life, your parents. Why? Well, our duty and our obligation to love others, it flows out of some things that God says about them. God says, I created them. And God said, uh, they bear my image. And God says, I love them. And when you bring all of those three things together, that means people deserve to be loved because of what God says about them. If what God says about every person is true, then I ought to be loving them. Well, the same thing is true about our duty and our ability to honor our parents, whether they were great or not. And it flows directly from something God shows us is true of our fathers. What is it that God says about them? It says that your father partnered with God in the creation of you. Your father partnered with God in the creation of you. You know, it no longer works the way, it doesn't go down anymore where God says, let there be, and then there's a baby. But he partners with human being in the creation of a living and an eternal soul and in the miracle of conception. And so honoring our fathers begins with recognizing that in God's sovereign plan, your father was used by God to bring you into existence. And when you honor your earthly father, when you honor this person whom God chose to use, you're actually paying respect to your heavenly father and the decision that he made. And in so doing, you actually acknowledge your submission to, and, uh, to God and to his sovereign plans for your life. Our relationship with our parents, and particularly with our dads, is our first experience of the reality uh, of authority. And it's our first experience with the exercise of obedience and the expression of honor that we are ultimately called to offer all of those things to God. But before we experience the reality of bringing honor and, and submission to authority and obedience to God, we learn to do that with our dads. I remember the first night that we brought Cody home from the hospital. I think it was his third night of existence. And, you know, we were, um, we were decent parents. We had our plan. We knew how we were going to do things and how it was going to work out. Had a little schedule and everything on the calendar. <laughs> And, uh, and we got him home, and he, oddly enough, he wasn't on the schedule yet. <laughs> it's been three days, kid. Come on, let's go. And, and so it, it's the middle of the night, and he's just screaming bloody murder, how a little thing that small can make that much noise. I'm still a little mystified, but he's just going nuts, and he won't stop. And, you know, in my defense, it had been a full week. There, there had been a lot going on. We had in-laws in the house and all the, you know, rushing to the hospital and all the stress of trying to get the car seat in the car right the first time. That, tell me that's not confusing, okay? So then running around the hospital and getting home, I was tired and I was irritable and I was cranky and I don't mean to, you know, I'm, Rochelle had it worse than I did, okay? I get it. <laughs> but it had been a long week and then here's this little bundle of nothing making all this noise and at one point I just did the only thing I could think to do. He was in a little bassinet on my side and I rolled over and said, little mister, that is gonna have to be enough. <laughs> and he went silent. Like, that was it. He was done. And his first experience of authority, obedience at whatever level, submission, um, was an experience with a cranky, irritated, weak, fatigued, uh, proud, and inconvenienced father. And I'm so grateful that he was too young to remember any of that. <laughs> By the time it got around to where kind of developmentally he could actually understand some of those things, I'd gained a little more sleep and, oddly enough, a little more self-control. But do we understand that at whatever point along the way 
our kids do first experience what it's like to be given an instruction and, and maybe to be given some discipline or some, cor- or some correction. At the first point that they experience authority, they're experiencing that in part from dad. And the way that dad um, manages those encounters, the spirit with which he comes and brings authority, the, either the, the tender gentleness with which he brings correction or the harsh anger with which he brings it, these are the things that shape the way that child will see the authority of God for the rest of his or her life. It's incredibly significant. Our ability to relate properly to all human people, everyone on this horizontal plane, it begins with our ability to offer a demonstration of respect in the primary human relationships that we have between child and parent. The reason that we need to be able to honor our fathers is not because they bring those things so perfectly, but because we need what they bring. And God asked them to be the ones to do it. And to honor the commandment is to say, I recognize the role of of a father in my life and someone to uh, bring me authority, correction, submission as needed. Honoring your father means acknowledging and responding appropriately to the role that God sovereignly called them to fulfill. Now, in a perfect world, we can, we can honor and praise and thank the individual person who filled that role because they did a great job and we love them and we appreciate them and we're thankful and full of gratitude. But even when that's not the case, we can still say that role is significant. That role is a short-term stand-in for the role and the authority of God, and it was significant, and I honor the role and the person who filled it. So how do we do that? What, is, what does it practically look like honoring our, our fathers? When, when we're young kids, it's very easy. Honor is a lot like obedience, right? Kind of do what he says. But as we grow up, and as our father's kind of imperfections sometimes become more manifest, manifest, and we grow conscious of our... Sometimes, um, sometimes honor doesn't necessarily include obedience. As we get older, honor looks more like incorporating the lessons of our father's lives. And sometimes the lessons that our dads teach us are positive lessons that we see by observation. Sometimes the lesson of our dad's life are negative lessons where we say, ooh, that's, that's not the way to go about that. But in either case, it's about saying, I can take the lessons that my dad has successfully implemented in his life and I can incorporate them into my own. That's an expression of honor. And then as we get older still, uh, Scripture has something to say about the way that we honor our fathers and our mothers as well. And that's the way that we care for them in old age and in the aging process. Paul wrote to Timothy. He said, hey, if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and their grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. It pleases God when younger generations extend honor and care for their aging parents. Who's responsible for the care of our parents as they age? Is it a government? Is it a system? Is it a care facility? These are all things that are real, and they're all resources that uh, can be accessed. But who bears the responsibility? We as children, honoring our father and our mother, bear that responsibility. That's part of what it means to to obey this particular commandment. I watched my dad um, as my... uh, as my mom's parents aged and entered the last stages of life, kind of put large sections of his life on hold 
uh, to be their caregivers uh, in the final years of their life. And I watched him go through kind of some of the uh, some of the mess of that and some of the discomfort of that and some of the sacrifice of that. But if you ask him, he'll talk about the joy of that and the closeness and the reward of that as well. But, uh, but I loved what I saw in that he put a single passage of Scripture into very practical application and honored his parents in a very biblical kind of way. And it's true. I mean, he turned and said, you know, Scott, are you watching this? Because, you know, <laughs> one day, this is what's next. And I said, oh, I'm watching. And I grabbed my kids and said, are you guys watching? Because it was one day. <laughs> so at a bare minimum, at a bare minimum, we honor our fathers. But on this Father's Day, I want to encourage you, hopefully, hopefully you're able to do more than just the bare minimum of honoring a role. And you're able to find those areas in your father's, your dad's life, the places where he did great, the places where he did well, the lessons positively that he delivered the care that was offered, the provision that was made, and all the things that a dad has done. And I want to encourage you, take the opportunity of today to be extravagant in your thanksgiving and in your praise and in your recognition of that. Now, um, dads, I was rooting for you there for just a minute, so enjoy that, because now I'm going to turn, I'm going to talk to you. I've talked to all of us about honoring our dads. Now, dads, I want to talk to you about living honorably and, what it, and the way it is that we do that. When you live honorably, um, you will never have to remind your kids of the fifth commandment, right? I'll simply say this, that a dad who constantly has to refer back to the fifth commandment and remind his kids that they are supposed to be honoring him, well, it's entirely possible that maybe he's not living so honorably, and that's why it's so difficult for them to bring about, bring about the honor. In many ways, it's like what I talk with, uh, with young couples when I'm doing premarital counseling. And uh, we get to that section in Ephesians 5 where Paul's talking about the various roles of husband and wife in relationship to one another. And he says that the husband is the head of the wife and should love her just as Christ loves the church. And, then he, and Paul uses the S word, submission. And, and it, we get great conversations out of that, right? And sometimes the young men get very excited about, wow, I get to be the head, in, uh, head of my household. I get to be the leader. I get to be in charge. And they start getting really excited. Because in their mind, anytime there's a difference of opinion, I get my way. I get to pull out the submission card, pull out the head of the family card, and play that one. That's when I have to tell them, you know, really, you're entitled to use that twice in the course of your marriage. <laughs> use them wisely. <laughs> because to the extent that you have to rely on that card, you're not doing a great job loving your wife the way that Christ loved the church. If you're doing your job well as a husband, it will be your wife's joy to walk alongside you and to support you, and you won't struggle with who's in charge or not. Well, it works the same way with dads and kids, right? The dad who simply says, honor me, fifth commandment, get on it, is not going to have nearly the kind of success as a dad who lives honorably and thus makes honor a very natural part of the relationship that way. Uh, when Paul wrote, he said this. He said, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So yeah, husbands, you're leaders. That means you get to be the first in love and in sacrifice and in service. And this passage is speaking of husbands and wives, but it, it plays just as well when you talk about dads with their kids also. It's instructive about how dads should be leading their kids 
So, Dad, whether you like it or not, we are all called to lead our kids, and that means always being first, being the first to love, being the first to serve, being the first to sacrifice, being the first to instruct. It means being first in all of those things. It's not about getting our way. It's not about calling the shots. It's not about being in charge. The biblical ver uh, version of leadership is nothing like that. Uh, Christ's leadership involves being the first to love, serve, sacrifice, and instruct. And, and I want to look at those just kind of each independently for a quick minute here. Dads, leading your kids means being the first to love. It means, it means taking the initiative to find fun, fresh, new, creative, engaging ways to communicate to your children that they are loved. It means taking time for them. It means figuring out what's special to them. It might mean going out of your way to discover a new special way to do that. And you may say, but I'm not special, and I'm not creative, and I, I'm not good at that. If you can find your way onto Amazon.com or to any local bookstore, you can find a lifetime's worth of ideas of ways to express love to your kids. You can do it. And being a leader, being a dad, means being the one to take the first step towards that in your relationship with your kids. I'm reminded of what has been to this point, one of my favorite moments of being a dad. It's when my daughter was just about three, just a uh, month or so shy of being three. I got to bring her flowers for the first time, kind of just because. And uh, this, is, this is when that happened. I know, right? I was adorable. <laughs> at least I had hair, so <laughs> there's that. No, and so that was her kind of at the door, and she didn't know it was coming. And then we, we came inside, and we celebrated just a little bit. And I got to hold on to my little girl and tell her how much I loved her and that, let her know that she would always be special to me. And that was just, that was just a, a point at which I took the initiative to express love and care. My daughter would probably be the one to remind you that may have been the last time I got her flowers and expressed <laughs> love and care that way, a situation that I'm probably going to have to remedy sometime soon if I'm to maintain any credibility at all. But the idea is not waiting till birthdays and graduations and, and special occasions, but to find those special times as a dad to take the initiative to say, I'm going to find a way to step out of the everyday and make sure my child knows that they are loved. Secondly, leading your kids means being the first to sacrifice. It means being the first one to sacrifice. Because dads, there will always be something else. There's always going to be something else that we can be doing. There's always going to be another project that's clamoring for our attention. There's always going to be something more urgent but there will never be anything more important than our kids. And it falls to us as dads to drag ourselves out of the urgent and get ourselves into the important where our kids are. To get to where our, our kids are. Uh, another nod to my dad on this one, but in order uh, for my sister and I to go to the, to the schools and live the life that he wanted for us to live, my dad, um, for the many years, for most of his professional life, drove a little uh, Datsun 1200. Datsuns are what Nissan was back before they were Nissan. And, and like 1,200, that's how many CCs, right? So my dad was basically driving a lawnmower to and from work. <laughs> putting, you know, risking life and limb every day on a highway, but with purpose. But with purpose. Because that's what was necessary to provide for his family the life he wanted for them. And, and whether you're talking about sacrifices that are material in that way, or whether you're talking about sacrifices in time or attention or focus, or activity, or anything, dads are called to be the first to sacrifice, to set aside their, what would please them immediately and first, and say, I want to do for another that way. 
I think dads, we know, we all want our family to be happy, right? Can't we all just get along is the cry of fathers everywhere. We want to have a truly happy family. I like what the author uh, Michael O'Brien said. He said that the cost of a happy family is the death of selfishness. You want a happy family? It costs the death of selfishness. And that starts with dad before it trickles its way down through the rest of the family. Um, dads, we need to train ourselves when there's unhappiness in the family to stop looking around and figuring out whose fault it is and start asking ourselves, where am I being selfish? Because whatever else is going on out here, some of my selfishness is involved. And we are the first that are called to sacrifice as the leaders in our home. Leading your kid means uh, being also the first to serve. When Jesus was talking to his disciples, they were kind of concerned about who's more important, who's in charge, who's on the A list, who's on the B list. Uh, and Jesus addressed this very clearly. He said, look, um, a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered the greatest. And Jesus said, the king of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise, exercise authority over them call themselves the benefactors, capital B, very notable people. But you are not to be like that, Jesus says. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules should be like the one who serves. Who's greater, the one at the table or the one who serves? Obviously, the person eating the meal is the greater. The person serving them is the lesser, right? But Jesus says, but it's, uh, isn't it the one that's at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. Follow my example. If you, if you occupy a position of leadership, don't lord it over. Don't insist that everyone just follow you. Serve. Those who lead are called first to serve. And this is true for us as dads as well. It means serving our kids and meeting their needs and providing them, being there for them. But more than that, it means showing them with your actions and with your life what it means to live for something greater than just yourself. I mean, don't we all want our kids to grow up and become healthy, productive citizens of, of the world who are able to see just past their own selfish conveniences and live for producing something that makes the world a better place? Don't we want our kids to grow up with a passion that says, I'm not the center of everything. I have a passion to make a difference in the world for others and to give myself to something that, that there's a cause, that there's, that there's perhaps even the cause of the gospel, the kingdom of God expanding. That's way more important than just me personally. And so I want to sacrificially give myself to something like the kingdom of God growing in this world. We want that for our kids. Well, where is that going to come from? It starts with dads who demonstrate that there are some things that are so worth saying yes to that I'm going to say no to some other things. It starts with kids who are able to look at a father and say, I see somebody in that man who, who's not just after his own convenience, his own comfort, his own goals, or even the goals of his family, but there are things he cares about, and he gives himself to them with time and with effort and with service. There's a man, my dad, who doesn't believe he's the greatest. He's, there's something out there more important than himself that he is living for. When they see that, they become that. Can I give you a practical example? Um, we're here in church having a great time. Downstairs, there are people loving our kids and teaching them about the love of God downstairs, right? But, you know, we're coming into a, a summer season and there are vacations and trips to the lake and everything, and, and we need some more people to help love the kids. Can I just say, dads, today would be a great day when you go down to pick up... Uh, your, your son or your daughter and whatever gift they have for you, 
what a great chance to, to show them the image of a man who knows there's some things worth doing that really matter. And sign up and say, where can I sign up to teach kids for a couple times in the course of one summer? Why? Because we got gaps and holes? No. Because there's some things that are worth saying yes to because they're so important. And because of that, I'm going to say no to some other things for a couple times in the summer. That while what we do up here is important, what happens down there is just as important and maybe more so. And that getting kids trained in knowing God, loving God, and serving God is something that is so worth saying yes to. That we as dads can say, I'm going to maybe say no to some of my own convenience um, uh, and some, some other things that I might otherwise be doing. Dads, I, I, just a very practical way. If not down there in Sunday school this morning, then somewhere, make sure that in your life you are demonstrating tangibly the example for your kids of what it means to serve. You're called to be first to serve. Okay. Um, I guess you get the idea. The, the final one is this. Leading your kids means being the first to instruct them. In the Old Testament, there's this account where the, God has given all the, the Israelites his instructions and the, and the Ten Commandments and all the law and all the rules to live by and the civil code and everything else. He's, he's basically said, here's how I want you to live. Here's what's right, true, real, and good. And then he says, fix these words of mine in your hearts and your minds and tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when, when you lie down and get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so that your days and the days of your kids may be many in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors, as many as the days uh, that the heavens are above the earth. The idea is this. He tells them, look, Israelites, I've given you what you need to know. I've given you the truth and the way to live. Now it's on you to make sure that your kids get that as well. So do whatever it takes to make sure that wherever they are, at home or outside, whether they're coming in or going out, they can't move without hearing you talking about what's good and real and true. Teach them about what it is to know God's word. Teach them, instruct them in what he commands. You know what he didn't say, in interestingly enough? Dads, make sure your kids get into a really cool kids ministry and that they're doing a great job. And then your kids will grow up well. They say, no, you take the initiative. Dads, that's your job. That's your role, right? I'm just trusting, dads, and that you're here today because you were the first one out of bed and you went downstairs or upstairs to wherever the kids' rooms are and you gently nudged them and got them out of bed and said, come on, it's time to go to church today. I'm trusting that that's what's taking place and it wasn't your wife jabbing you and throwing elbows and saying, hey, get out of bed. You're going to church today and get the kids. And you went down and said, we got to go to church, come on. But what about demonstrating and living and instructing a sense that, that spiritual formation and education of the kids is my responsibility as a dad. It's my responsibility to make sure that that gets done. And that happens in part in Sunday school for sure, but it happens way more than that in the home. Many of us men find ourselves in this position where we feel like, but um, I think my kids know more than me. Like, I'm, I'm not sure that I can do it. I'm not sure that I have what it takes. I don't know enough about the Bible. Um, let me, this is easier if your kids are young and toddlers than if they're older, like in high school. But I'll just say, um, if you don't know enough about the Bible to lead your kids and you're concerned about that, 
Go get a picture Bible and go through that. And then go get a toddler Bible and go through that. Then go get a youth Bible and then graduate up to whatever comes after that. But just start. It's not that you need a Bible degree and lots of head knowledge to lead your kids. You need a desire to interact around God's word together. Honestly, at the picture Bible level, what do you think's going on here? What do you think he thought about that? What's God saying? Simple conversation. It's not about passing on tons of knowledge. It's about sharing a heart to grow in the Lord, right? And Ed, let's be honest. Um, Let's be honest. It would just be hiding behind um, a lack of knowledge for us to say, I'm not going to do it, right? Because what do we do as men? We solve problems. When we don't know what to do, if it's important, we figure out how to go do it. I was away out of town last winter, and, uh, and our furnace went out. So it was like 13 degrees out, and my wife's here in Spokane in a house that's like 52 degrees, getting cold, and, uh, and, the, and uh, we couldn't get the folks out to work on it. So what did I do while I was gone? Do I know anything about furnaces and heaters? No. I, oh, I know they cost a lot. But, <laughs> but so what did I do? I didn't know anything about that. But this was important. So what did I do? Hopped on Google, a couple of searches, found some stuff, figured out what my drawing... You know what? I fixed it. Not because I know anything about it, but because it was important enough to figure it out. The same thing happens when I have to put brakes on my car. The same thing happens when my computer breaks down. Hey, if something has to get fixed, if it's important to me, as a man, I may not know what to do, but I'm going to find out where to go to find out what to do, and then I'm going to do it. Because that's what we as men do when things matter. Let's not hide behind the, I don't know what to do about instructing my kids in the faith. If it matters, we can figure it out. If you're, serious about, if you're serious about that and want to figure it out, I would invite you to jot down your name and an email address on the tear-off tab. we got a number of men's leaders in men's ministry who would love to meet with you and talk with you about how it is that you can do exactly what you want to do. But let us not as men hide behind this idea, well, I just don't know how to do it. We are called to be the first in love, the first in sacrifice, the first to serve, and the first to instruct. Guys, if we do that, then we are living honorably. We actually sow into our kids' lives the ability to make Father's Day like the best holiday of the year every year for the rest of their lives. Let's make that happen. Let's get on board with that. Let's pray. God, just at the outset, we, we just want to say in this moment, thank you for our dads. Thank you for the lessons that our lives have poured into us. Thank you for the care that they've offered. And God, for those of us for for whom those lessons seem absent, Lord, help us to grow in the art of honoring the role of Father and the person you selected to fulfill it. And God, for those of us who are dads, God, would you give us the strength and courage to rise up to the challenge? God, we're we're not equal to the task, but in you we can be. So God, would you just um, speak that word into our heart, that kind of next thing that you're asking us to do related to our kids? Would you show us clearly the step that we need to take? And God, would you pour into us the strength and courage to do that? God, as we celebrate the rest of this day, we want to invite you into the celebration and thank you for being our Heavenly Father as well. It's in the name of your Son,